This is Attack of the 20th Century. Thank you for joining us as we explore science fiction, fantasy, and horror films of the 20th century. I'm your host, Jeff. And I'm your other host, Kim. Welcome to episode 14, where we review 1998's Sphere. Look for us on Instagram and Facebook at Attack of the 20th Century. That's 20TH. We post our next movie selections there. You can comment, give your thoughts, and they just might make it on the air. Wow, so we are 14 episodes in. All right, episode 14 it is. We committed to season one being 20 episodes, <gasps> one per week. Oh, we're so, well, we did not deliver on the one per week, but. We've skipped two weeks, though, so we've done 14 out of 16 weeks. That's okay, pretty good. all right, that's not bad. But yeah, we'll take a little break after 20, not too long of a break, but just uh, you go ahead and put together ideas for season two, all listen right. back, see what we want to change. So we've cast the net very widely uh, with sci-fi, fantasy, and horror all over the 20th century. So we're, yeah, kind, we're, we're very kind of, spread out. We are bouncing all over the place week to week. And one thing I've noticed, uh, like on Instagram and things like that, you know, there's like this horror community. Oh. And they love horror. Okay. But I don't think they love anything else. It's like, that's what they love. Oh, uh, yeah. And then there's, of course, the sci-fi people, right? You know, or, like we have several friends that are sci-fi, uh, you know, like yeah. Star Trekkies or whatever, and they love Trek, uh, but they may not love too much else sci-fi or, you know, they wouldn't ever dream about going into horror. Oh, oh I see. Yeah. Or a fantasy. People like you their know. niches. They like their niches. We're, we're pretty eclectic, you and I. We are. And these eclectic. aren't even, I mean, I definitely am into fantasy, but... Obviously, horror and sci-fi; these are not my niches, but I'm here for it. I'm uh-huh. I'm along for the ride to, okay. to learn and discuss. Okay. But I guess not everybody's that way, is what you're saying? Yeah, I just wonder: is it tough to build a following uh, with people who they like their niche, and you and I are just so diverse? No, oh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's a good uh, study in I don't know. Is this anthropology? <laughs> <laughs> If you guys give us feedback, we'll listen to the feedback. Well, something we did watch recently that isn't part of the 20th century, but its predecessor was... Oh, that's true, yeah. ...was the movie The Witches Yeah. with Anne Hathaway. We watched it on HBO Max, and I feel like we're kind of being an HBO Max uh, advertisement lately because we plug them every week. But <laughs> That's true, but you know, we, we only pay for one or two streaming services at a time, kind of watch what we want to watch, and then... Go back to something else. Cancel that one. Try something else for a while. Yeah. It seems, I don't know, irresponsible to have like six streaming services going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. We just don't have that kind of time. Like, no. why would we pay to watch six streaming services all, all at one time? Right. It doesn't make sense. So we'll do HBO Max for another month or two, probably. I think they have Mortal Kombat that's being released. A new one? A new one. Oh. Interested in it, seeing that. That is interesting. Okay. But yeah, which is, that was a... Uh, that was an interesting take. Now, you had seen the one from the 80s or 90s, the one with oh, Angelica yeah, yeah. No, Houston. It's from, I think it's actually from 1990, the okay. one with Angelica Houston. Yes, the witches. We're back to the witches. We're not mm-hmm. talking about Godzilla anymore. Right. Um, yeah, so I saw... So I guess the previews just started playing a couple times when we had mm-hmm. HBO Max open. And I was like, wait a minute, the witches... I know a movie called The Witches. This is new, and this is not the movie I've seen. 
So mm-hmm. yeah, I guess it's a reboot of the 1990s movie with Angelica Houston, which uh-huh. is actually based on a Roald Dahl book. And we have kind of a big Roald Dahl following in our house. Our yeah. kids love a lot of Roald Dahl books. So. And that's what caught my eye was just that Dahl wrote this. Right. And I know the kids have read several Dahl books. Yeah. But yeah. interestingly enough, they haven't read this one. No, we don't have... I, we have like a small collection of Roald Dahl books, and The Witches mm-hmm. is not one of them for some okay. reason. Um, and honestly, I didn't realize when I watched The Witches in 1990 that it was based on a Roald Dahl book. So. Yeah. Um, my parents probably knew though. My mom, being an elementary educator, um, mm-hmm. she loved Roald Dahl, and yeah. we always read things like James and the Giant Peach, and you know, obviously Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and all that stuff. Uh-huh. So I'm imagining that I watched it at home, and my mom knew that it was, you know, based on one of his books. But I never made that connection. Um, how old was I in 1990? I don't even know. <laughs> I wasn't like. Who were we last? I was like 11, right? <laughs> yeah, I was like 11. So this that would have been an appropriate period for me to watch that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so anyhow, we watched the new one. Um, and what? honestly, it's been so long since I've seen the old one, I don't remember if it matches up to that one or not. Yeah. Um, they definitely put a kind of um, New Orleans spin on this one a little bit because Octavia yeah. Spencer is the main... A grandma character in mm-hmm. this movie. And so she kind of has this um, New Orleans flavor to her. And yeah. Chris Rock is the voice of her grandson that's kind of narrating yeah. the story. I, re- so, I really liked them. I mean, yeah, I like. No, they were fantastic. I like Octavia as an actress. Yes, yeah. And the kids automatically, I loved, I was very proud of them. They're like, oh, that's the lady from Hidden, was it Hidden Figures? Hidden Figures. Yeah. I mentioned this movie in class a couple weeks ago with my 10th graders, and I called it Hidden Numbers, and they laughed at me. <laughs> and they're like, uh, do you mean Hidden Figures? I was like, yep. That's the one. That's what I was trying to get to. Yes. And it was directed by Robert Zemeckis, of course, from uh, Back to the Future fame. Right. Then of course Anne Hathaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought she did really good. She she was good. She clearly is having fun in this role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I it kind of felt like her when she did the stint with the um, Alice in Wonderland movies for Disney. Uh-huh. You know, like she does well with these kitty kind of you know yeah storytelling movies. I think she enjoys those roles. Yeah, she's kind of hams it up, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, does she go over the top? I think it works for the movie. Yeah. She goes over the top. Uh, but it's I remember fun. these witches. Now, again, it's been a very long time since I saw the 1990s version, but these witches did seem a bit creepier. Like, oh, yeah. They were, they were pretty icky. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Physically, just gross. Right. It's right. Disgusting. But maybe the other ones were gross too, and I just don't have a recollection of that. Maybe. We know my memory is terrible. <laughs> so. But it's just funny. Like, I liked all the actresses and actors, I thought mm-hmm. they were great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seemed to be lacking something. Yeah, yeah. Can't I don't put know. Put my finger on it, but it wasn't really good. No, it was it was fine just okay. for an evening watch, but it wasn't fantastic. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, something else I just finished uh, that I mentioned last week that I'd started. Oh yes, uh, the uh, show Snowpiercer. With so you the, finished season one, right? I finished season one. All right. And I and? mentioned last week that I think I'm going to stop. Uh, that's where I am now, you know, and if you're a big Snowpiercer fan out there and you can convince me otherwise, <laughs> reach out, let us know why uh, season two and three are just so great. You know, we have to watch it. Uh, this show, I really enjoyed 
a lot of it, mm-hmm. uh, but then they lost me at some point. There, there's this whole mystery, like a murder mystery going on on the train, and I really liked David Diggs' character, and I liked Jennifer Connelly's character. Right. This whole mystery thing going about it, and the investigation. And then at some point, it transitions. You find huh. out who the murderer is, they have a, a, a trial, and... You know, then it becomes back to upper class versus lower class. And like we've talked about the tail of the trains trying to right. overthrow first class or first, uh, yeah, I guess first class. I still feel offended for them. Like, why are they not the caboose? Yeah. That's I don't know. traditionally the end of a train. Yeah. But in the fu- <laughs> this is the future, though. So okay. In the future, there are no cabooses, but there are oh, tails. I don't like it. It sounds like, I don't know, an animal, not a train. <laughs> But the last two or three episodes, there's this big battle going on, uh, and I honestly say I didn't care about any of the characters. Like I kind of felt like any of them could be offed, and I wouldn't really care. Even David, Diggs. I heard you say that more than once when you would finish an episode. Uh-huh. You're like, I don't think I care about any of these characters. Yeah, and that's a problem. It is a problem because at some point you're like, why am I watching? I don't care who dies and who lives. Um, right. There's only one exception. A big high five to Jennifer Connelly. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, I really liked her character. I really liked her performance. Uh, she definitely is one of these characters who is well balanced. You know, we talk right. about sometimes. And this is, you know, they do this with a lot of female characters today where they try to, you know, make them... They're uh, too perfect. They're just too perfect. Well, Jennifer Connelly's character is not perfect. Right. They show a lot of ugliness, just some nastiness to her mm-hmm. character. She makes mistakes that cost lives. Yeah. Uh, you know, she makes mistakes that cost relationships. Uh, but then there's also this good in her that you see. Right. And so I felt like it was a very uh, good role for her, and she did a great job, you know, communicating that. And I related to her. Just real quick background: she's kind of in charge of the of the train's overall well being. She's really catering to first class, second class, mm-hmm. making sure things are happy in third class, and that the tail, you know, the uprisings and rebellion, that's kept at bay. And so she's doing all this like balancing act, right? So she's like the politician of the whole train, kind thing, of. Yeah, sort of? I mean, she's in charge. She's, okay, she's the head honcho, but she, nobody knows that. Like people uh, don't really know that. They think there's somebody above her. Yeah, yeah. So she's got this whole balancing act that she's got to maintain the whole time. And you know, as a as a manager that I do for a living, <laughs> I was about to call her middle. So she's middle management. She's middle management. Okay. So I felt I related to her because uh, you know when the first class is complaining about you know the temperature of their steak or the <laughs> they want the stars and I get it. And then when the tails complaining to her about you know they want food, they would like some heat. Right. <laughs> We're trying not to starve or freeze to death here. Yeah, we Help want some out. basic necessities, you know. You hear that and you're like, yep, yeah, yeah, I'm doing my best. I'm doing what I can. You know, the all of the, the human race is basically, this is it. The survival of the human race is right here. Right. And I'm doing the best I can. I don't know if you looked outside, but, you know, the earth's <laughs> frozen over. Uh, and we're on a train forever in perpetuity. Uh but you know, I really, I really enjoyed her character, and the only reason why I would continue to watch is just to see her continued story. Right. And then the last five minutes of season one, uh, there were a couple bombshells dropped. Were, oh. I started thinking about should I go ahead and watch it or not? But um, so it like left you with questions that almost tempted you to start season correct, two. Oh, okay. Correct. Okay. Like dangling a carrot. Like hmm, 
Well, these are things that well, I didn't think were. I mean, happen. that's smart from a director's position. Oh, yeah. Leave them wanting more. That's what they say. Right. I don't know. I, I think I'm good. I think I'm good for now. Maybe I'll come back to it later. It but... seems a little dark for you. You mm-hmm. don't, unless it's dark comedy, you don't, you yeah. know, or old school horror. Yeah. You don't gravitate towards dark. And yeah. so this seems pretty dark for you to, to yeah. consume as like entertainment. Yeah. Nightly entertainment. You know, yeah, there's constant negativity going on. And right. there's all this political unrest that right. is thinly veiled. It's m- mimicking what happens today. Right. We talked about this last week. We've talked about it several times. Like, I just don't want to be slapped in the face with politics. Right. Well, if you're consuming this for entertainment's sake, then you don't need it to to bring a message. Yeah. This is an interesting talk I think we sh- we could have on another episode, because I know mm-hmm. it's not really what we're here for today. But, um, like... I'm all for art bringing a message, whether that's your TV show or your movie or your mm-hmm. literature or whatever, your physical sculpture, painting, art, whatever. Like, I want there to be a message. Mm-hmm. But I think the message should be something other than or a higher calling or pointing us to something greater mm-hmm. most of the time. If yeah. it's just regurgitating what we can see on the six o'clock news and the six o'clock news sounds very dated now that it's come out of my mouth because that was like when we were growing up that's when you got your news now it's the 24 yeah now it's the 24 hour news Mm -hmm. so basically you know like if if the point of your art is to just regurgitate what we're already seeing i'm sure there is value in that and i'm sure Mm -hmm. someone has takes issue with me saying this whatever Mm -hmm. but entertainment is good for entertainment's sake, mm-hmm. and there's a there is validity in that. And then right. there are times where you do need to say something, and you need to step up and and be a spokesperson for something. But mm-hmm. I don't know that they always mesh well together. It, it's it and there's a how whole it's done. lot there. I, I'm just skimming the surface here. You know, one of my favorites is Rod Serling, and we we've yeah, talked about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got very political, right? But it's done in a clever way. Mm-hmm. It's not just so like repeating what you see on the news right. with just changing a few names. And now, by the way, we're in the future. We're on a train. But the exact same thing that's happening in Portland is happening right here on this train. Right. It, like, it's just, I don't know. That's It's not really clever. It's okay, just Okay, so uh, let me ask you nose. this. Maybe the difference is Rod Serling, I think, was really good at posing his theories and his thoughts and his ideas as questions Mm -hmm. like you are really left at the end of every episode of twilight zone with a question like huh what do what should be the the response in this situation what should we do with this Mm -hmm. whereas i i don't know if there's anybody out there right now that's creating that same style of art that's Mm -hmm. Leaving you with an open-ended question to to make you think about something rather than just plastering you with more of what's on the 24-hour news cycle. Right. Right? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I haven't watched... This isn't my commentary on Snowpiercer because I haven't watched it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, But I I see this happening a lot. Like, it's just a regurgitation, and I think you've already used that word even. Yeah. Of what's out there, what you can get on any 24-hour news cycle versus Mm -hmm. like, okay, so this is happening in our world. What do you think about it? Like, right. and here's multiple sides. And this is what I'm always preaching to my 10th graders. You know, like there's not just two sides to every story guys. And there's certainly yeah. not just one side to every story. There's two sides. There's usually multiple sides to every oh, story. For sure. Everything is so much more nuanced than the news cycles want you to believe. Yeah. So anyhow, I, I digress, but, mm-hmm. um, no, I think that is good conversation though. <laughs> We're getting really deep for our we normal are. conversation. Yeah. 
We better lighten it up again. All right, all right. What else? So speaking of uh, battles, oh gosh, Indiana I Jones. Do, yes, yes. Is about just... to go into another battle. Unbelievable. How old is Harrison Ford? I heard someone say that when they start filming this new Indiana Jones, I would say episode, what do you movie? What, movie, yeah. yeah, whatever reboot. Uh, he will be seventy nine when they start filming. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and so he's going to be in this one, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge, which I guess some people know from Fleabag. I've seen the previews. Mm -hmm. I started watching a smidgen of it one time because I just was getting hit in the face. Every time I opened Amazon Prime, Mm -hmm. boom, there was Phoebe Waller-Bridge and this Fleabag thing, and I I am very drawn to British actors and actresses and whatever whatever comes out of the UK. I want to know what's going on over there and just have a love for all things British. Mm-hmm. Um, so I watched a little bit of it and it's just not my cup of tea. It's pretty racy. And again, I've watched like maybe 12 minutes of the show. So it felt yeah. very just not my bag. So she's she somehow is like now going to be a sidekick or something. I'm not really sure. I haven't dug into this too far. But yeah, Indiana Jones will be 79. So um, I don't know. Do we? My question is, do we need another? Indiana Jones. And this is not from a person who hates Indiana Jones franchise. Like You love Indiana I Jones. I love Indiana Jones. I lived in the location and visited many times the location <laughs> of the filming of, what is that? Last Crusade. That's, yeah, The Last Crusade. Like, mm-hmm. all of that was filmed down in Petra. You know, I lived in Jordan many, many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love the Indiana Jones, the original Indiana Jones the franchise. The first three. Yeah. Yeah, the Crystal Skull, they were supposed to kind of hand off the uh, Indiana Jones whip to uh, Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, Shia LaBeouf. I think he became problematic in years since. Yeah, his behavior became erratic. I don't know if that's drugs or stardom. I haven't really kept up. Yeah, I don't know where he is now. I'm not a TMZ person. I don't follow these lives of the celebrities. (laughs) But obviously things didn't work out there. And the movie was crap for all intents and purposes, right? It was not great. Yeah. I tell you what I don't want to see. Yeah. I don't want to see Indiana Jones in a fist fight with three really buff Nazis. You know, Nazi <laughs> or yeah, just thirty year old guys, whether they be yeah. Nazis or thuggy warriors or whatever they were in, in the no. um, Temple of Doom. I just don't want to see an almost eighty year old man like beat up. 20-year-old or 30-year-old guys. That's so unrealistic. He's going to have to, for it to be, I think, for it to be well done and believable, he's going to have to step into the Sean Connery role. Like, he's got to become who his father was in the original series. Yeah. Um, Whether or not that'll happen, I I have no idea. I don't know what the direction is Mm -hmm. of the movie or the storyline. It's more brains, a little less brawn. Yeah. And it's some coaching, help you know, helping somebody find their way. Yeah, that may even be comical if he takes on more of the you know cautious, snarkier position of his dad. Yeah. You know the the character that Sean Connery played. Yeah. Um, that may work. Okay, this week we are going to deep dive the movie Sphere from 1998. It is touted as a sci-fi horror thriller action movie. I don't know. These genres seem to be getting really complicated for (laughs) me. It's a very specific genre there. (laughs) Yeah. What did you say? Sci-fi action horror horror action thriller? (laughs) 
Something like that. Um, so basically, it's a spaceship that's discovered under 300 years worth of coral growth at the bottom of the ocean, and we're bringing in this team of experts because this is the United States government is on this. They know what's going on. They have the Navy out there in the ocean, um, and they they have this team that they want to pull together and go down, and this is going to be basically our first, like, oh, my gosh, we have actual evidence of, you know, alien life or maybe not life but there's some sort of alien artifact here we've got to discover right um so it's rated pg-13 it came out in 1998 i think i mentioned that um and it's got this a-list team of characters we've got dustin hoffman we've got sharon stone samuel l jackson who am i missing i mean so actually the film cast has one oscar winner which is dustin hoffman okay and then four Oscar nominees. So Sharon Stone, you mentioned Samuel right. L. Jackson, Queen Latifah, yes. and then Huey Lewis as the uh, helicopter pilot. Oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that was Huey Lewis. <laughs> I didn't know either until uh, wow. I did the research. After. Another guy that we see a lot, but I never remember his name, Lee Schreiber. He's, oh yeah. He's in this also. He's one of the scientist types mm-hmm. that gets pulled into this whole little discovery. So basically what happens is at the beginning of the movie, Dustin Hoffman is being whisked away into a helicopter off to this unknown location. And we find out that he is some well-known um, psychologist or psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And the government during somebody's administration has Bush. asked... <laughs> it was Bush's administration. Yeah. Okay. Has said like, hey, you're so well-known. Like what happens if we find alien life? How should we respond as a nation? And so he has written this treatise, basically, mm-hmm. on what, how we should, you know, proceed if we do actually find alien life or alien artifacts, and who should be involved in this discovery. And so right. he lists kind of like a list of his friends. You yeah. know, like we need. This he kind of puts together a playbook. Yeah, basically, it's a people playbook. That, playbook with the people that he thinks should be involved. Right. This marine biologist. This forensics guy, this mm-hmm. mathematician, and all these certain people should be involved. If we yeah. actually encounter alien life, these are the people. Mm-hmm. So the government took him at his word and said, all right, we think we found some sort of alien something under mm-hmm. the ocean. Here's We need you and your crack team together now to figure out what we're doing down here. So we right. go down into the bottom of the ocean with this team that Dustin Hoffman really kind of threw together as like a, they paid me money to write this paper here, I put these names on paper, right? Right, right. So they go down the bottom of the ocean, and there's a lot of psychodrama, a lot of, like, we don't know what we're dealing with. None of these people were equipped to be down under the bottom of the ocean, um, mm-hmm. you know, trapped in very surreal kind of mm-hmm. setting. And, and things get weird. Things get weird. And that's when the movie really starts that's taking off. That's where the movie takes off. That's right. So, Sphere is actually a 1987 novel by Michael Crichton. That's right. It was his sixth novel under his own name and his 16th novel overall. Wow. So, I don't know what his pen name was. I don't know. This very next book, by the way, a little uh, trivia for you, is Jurassic Park. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, this yeah. was kind of his appetizer before he cranked out Jurassic Park. Yeah. All right. This, unfortunately, did not do as well. It... 
Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think they spent $80 million on this. Oof. And it made back uh, around $80 million. So Okay, so can I just say I did pull up the Rotten Tomatoes scores. Okay. Do you want that now or do you want that later? Uh, go ahead and give it to us. Okay, so we watched, we stumbled on this where? HBO Max? Is that where you saw the previews for this? No, no, uh, Tubi. Oh, we that's saw. right, Tubi. We, we stumbled across this. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, we've never even heard of this. It has an Big A-list cast, of characters. Yeah, yeah great exactly. Cast. Let's check it out. But then I pulled up the Rotten Tomato score, and the tomato meter gives it 11%. Ooh, yeah. The audience score, which we've seen this a lot, where the critics don't give it a great rating, but the mm. audience, you know, loves it. Later yeah. on, it gains cult following. Mm, nope, the audience score is 38% for Ooh. Sphere. <laughs> it's not looking good, Hanshaw. Not looking good. So the first time we saw this movie was huh. Thursday night. Yep. And so normally we tell you what we think about it overall. Um, You know, we're going to save most of this for later. But in general, I think we found it kind of confusing. It was confusing. Yeah. And it was it was hard to get invested because things were happening and we were scratching our head a lot. I think it had a lot of ingredients of a great movie and it never like... I don't know. They forgot the bacon soda or something. Mm-hmm. Like, right? The cake went flat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just never happened. Yeah. And we didn't read the book. So I bet if you read the book and then you watched the movie, there would be a lot of blanks that would be filled in for you. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I'm imagining anyway. Yeah. Because it's a very well-received book. I've seen a lot of people who just love the book. Huh. Uh, but then the movie doesn't have a lot of love, obviously, as uh, Kim pointed out. So we'll start with the positive. Mm-hmm. There's a specific scene in the movie where I felt like, good, you know, the movie's finally taking shape now. Mm-hmm. And it's the scene where they first start communicating with the alien via the computer. So, so wait, I feel like I need to give some background here. For those of you who are not going to watch this movie. So we're mm-hmm. under the ocean. There's mm-hmm. this ginormous crashed spaceship yeah. At the bottom of the very bottom, of, like a thousand feet down, bottom yeah. of the ocean. And inside the spaceship, there's this giant glowing orb. Yeah. Which the is sphere. the namesake of the movie, the sphere. Yeah. This is gold colored. And we see uh, originally, when we first see it, Samuel L. Jackson is the first guy who goes up to it, right? Uh-huh. And he's kind of staring at it. And then we see him almost like he's absorbed by the sphere. Yeah. And then he. It's like he sort of, you never really see what happens and you never see inside the sphere, but it's like he sort of gets spit back out, right? Uh huh. And he's unconscious for, yeah. I don't know, a day. We're not really sure how long. Yeah, they time. don't really They specify. get him back to the main ship where everybody's staying. Uh huh. They get him back in his quarters. He's like unconscious. They're not sure if he's okay. Like, what happened to him? What did he mm-hmm. see in the sphere? And that's when this whole communication via the computer system starts, right? Yeah, they get a series of numbers sent to them as a message, Mm -hmm. they assume, from the alien. Yeah, they assume it's coming from the ship or the sphere or something. And this small crack team they have, is they're smart, and they figure out that it's the keys on the keyboard uh, backwards or something. Right, it's like a a number code type thing. Yeah, and... Uh, so they're getting contact from this alien, and they're able to understand what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And it has things like, I am happy. Mm-hmm. And then Dustin Hoffman's character says, I don't like that he says he's happy. <laughs> they're like, why not? Don't you want him happy? He 
He says, well, if he's happy, that implies that he could be not happy. Right. What happens when he gets not happy? And what happens? And so I felt that tension. And I felt like they, they had me finally. Because the buildup was very slow. I mean, yeah. like the first 20 minutes, there's just all this exposition. The character's just talking. So and, much exposition. And yeah. we realize that Sharon Stone and Dustin Hoffman have some sort of like past troubled relationship and yeah it but was, it's all just it was like kinda, a patient doctor thing but right. there was a, a romance there a failed yeah romance clearly mm-hmm. they have bad vibes yeah, yeah. tons of exposition yeah Hessens. just tons of it and it's just kind of boring in the beginning but when they finally get here this scene i thought was really well done uh, unfortunately you know this will kind of get in the low points but they dropped it pretty fast prematurely yeah. i think yeah. They dro- they they dropped that whole I don't know, they abandoned it and kind of went in a different direction. Right. And even though they're still communicating via the keyboard, like they kind of uh they move away from it and all that tension that's built up, they lose it. But, yeah, yeah, it gets dropped somehow. Yeah. Or they're just not good at hanging on to it, I guess. Yeah. Is yeah. what happens there. Yeah, and I would say another high five here is that mm-hmm. um there is some real creep factor to using the underwater world as like your enemy, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a scene where, you know, jellyfish attack, I think it was Queen Latifah's character, you know, and get into her. She has to go from, there's like an underwater submarine that took them down there, but then they have a base built at the bottom of the ocean too. So she mm-hmm. has to every so often go back to the submarine and reset something because the submarine mm-hmm. has like a 12 hour cycle where if you don't go back and hit the button, it automatically ejects to the surface to let the Navy know like mm-hmm. things have gone wrong, right? Yeah. So she, it's part of her job to go back to the sub, hit the reset set button and come back to the base and in one of her little travels between those two she gets attacked first she thinks it's amazing like you're underwater and all yeah. these jellyfish and she's all suited up so they're not hurting her yeah they're not gonna sting her or anything. yeah um so it's kind of this like amazing underwater like wow where'd all these jellyfish come from you know mm-hmm. and then it becomes terrifying and i think yeah. we all i mean we're floridians so we're very used to the ocean and people making a a big deal about scary things in the ocean, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and and we kind of have that respect. Like, we love the water, we love the beach, but we also know like it can turn on you in a heartbeat. Yeah. So they do a good job of using those elements. So there's a there's that, and then there's in, in that um, scene specifically too. Uh-huh. They did they used real jellyfish uh, that were sped up. Oh. So they looked more aggressive. Okay. And they had CGI jellyfish. So they did oh. a mixture. But what what made it look good, I think, is they the used real. A, a combination. Yeah, they were very convincing. Like, I so. wasn't like, oh my gosh, these are the fakest jellyfish ever. Right. right. No, they looked, they looked like, I mean, I've seen real jellyfish. These look like jellyfish. Yeah. You know? So I thought that was done well. Uh, yeah. But again, it was something they didn't hold on to. There's other creepy aquatic elements that crop up here and there, but mm-hmm. it's not... Uh, we at one point that seems like there's a giant squid attacking their base, right? Yeah. And he's like banging holes into things, and we're getting leaks and stuff in our mm-hmm. underwater base. Um, and then there's like the scary because they're really deep down. So you know, our kids were went mm-hmm. through periods of being fascinated with deep sea creatures. You know, you've got those like, you know, I don't know, they're really weird looking like vampire type fish, you yeah, know, and stuff. So we have those things and like underwater sea snakes. Yeah, the sea snakes were creepy. So they did do a good job of using those underwater elements, but mm-hmm. then you do get a little confused of like, is this kind of an underwater movie or are we dealing with alien life forms? Like I totally mm-hmm. forgot in those moments that oh, we're talking about aliens here. Yeah. You know, like we're 
it was confusing to me. So yeah. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm all invested in the like terrors of the sea, but yeah. oh yeah, there's an alien spacecraft here. <laughs> what? Right. right. It's like all of our high fives are pretty much going to be a little tainted. You know, <laughs> yeah. they're like left-handed compliments. Right. Yes. The next one I'll give is, uh, you know, the, just in general to this cast that we built up, you know, Dustin Hoffman, Sharon Stone, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Liev Schreiber. Yeah. Right. I yeah. felt like they did what they could with the material. Sure. Um, it's just the film. I felt like the film failed them. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like when they were talking, you know, they were following direction well, and they never took me out of the movie from no, their there acting. there was nothing bad from an acting perspective, I mm-hmm. don't think. It was just, yeah, I mean, we'll get to this. It was just a poor movie. Yeah. <laughs> it was just poorly done. Yeah. And they, they just couldn't, they couldn't really save it. Another high five I'll give here. Uh, there were some good ideas here. Mm-hmm. You know, I like the idea of someone being asleep and their dreams becoming a reality. Right. Obviously, the nightmare um, on Elm Street really played that up. Oh, but yeah. that that was their nightmares becoming real to them and causing them harm. Right. This is a case where you know Samuel L. Jackson's asleep and his dreams are becoming real and terrorizing his shipmates. Right. You know, I think that's a really cool idea, you know, for a good mm-hmm. basis for a horror thriller. Um, another one is, I like the idea of the psychologist is paid by one administration to write a playbook if there's an alien encounter. Mm-hmm. And then they live long enough uh, to find a real alien encounter. Right. And the government is executing his playbook. Yeah. It's yeah, something I they've been studying. Interesting. Yeah, it's just really interesting. And entertaining, because then you find out, like Dustin Hoffman's like, look. Like, they paid me $35,000 to write this. Like, I don't know what to do in an alien encounter, yeah. but they were paying me $35,000. I just wrote it, yeah. you know? It was a down payment on my house. Why not do that? Yeah, exactly. And I do like that idea of, you know, what you do in your youth, kind of like your sins will find you. Yeah, you know? that's right. Like, Be sure your sins will find you out. <laughs> and, you know, he did this thing thinking it was a nothing, but like those decisions you make will come yeah. back sometimes. Now, and- a new government administration actually thinks they have an alien encounter and guess whose playbook they're going to use. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. You're officially now an expert in this. <laughs> right. And... uh so there was some really good ideas, and I assume those ideas are thanks to Mr. Michael Crichton. Sure, you know, I'm the sure book. they come from the novel. But you know, now I'm going to just segue into our low points. All right, because there's more of those. Here we go. The number one, the big low point, I have to say, is there's just no payoff on right. any of these great ideas. An example is there's something creepy, right? This I like this idea. Uh, about somebody being fascinated with 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yes. And them reading the book all the time you see them. They're kind of ignoring conversation, even though there's an alien encounter happening. Right. This is Samuel L. Jackson's character. He's kind right. of always reading this book, right? He's always reading this book, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, but all the pages are blank after page 87. Yeah. and That's fascinating. That's really cool. That's creepy. Uh-huh. Uh, but you never really get a big payoff. No, there's no real big reveal about that. No. I mean, there is a squid that comes and attacks and then leaves. But like, well, I don't and really... the tie-in to that, like understanding that because Samuel L. Jackson was reading this book that involves mm-hmm. a squid attacking a submarine, mm-hmm. um, and then the squid actually attacks their underwater base. You don't yeah. get even the tie-in until much later in the movie. Yeah. So you're like, oh, oh, that's what was happening. Okay. But, but yeah, but then why is this book blank? Why are the pages blank? Right, why after? does the page, why does everything stop at 87? Yeah. I mean, it would make sense if that's... There's no tie-in there. There's no explanation. Yeah. 
They don't, yeah, I don't get it. Uh, <laughs> uh, also, I like this idea I mentioned before. The alien is happy. And the alien takes on kind of a childish persona. They don't really explore that. Like, oh, no. we find out it's Samuel L. Jackson in his dreams. Is he acting like a kid in his dreams? Right. And still, the question is, who is the alien? We see yeah. the golden sphere, yeah. and we know that anybody that's gone into the sphere then becomes, like, actualizing whatever they dream. Anytime they mm-hmm. go to sleep or get paranoid, they, things start happening, right, based yeah. on their thoughts. But we never go into the sphere. We never mm-hmm. see what's in the sphere. We never know yeah. who this alien is or why the sphere is cr- causing them to act this way. Yeah. No payoff. No payoff. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, we still know. They talk about seeing what's inside the sphere. We never get to see what's inside the sphere. No. They so just we don't know like, if it's like an actual alien. The sphere itself is the alien. Like, yeah. Is there a whole nother, like life happening inside of the sphere? Yeah. No one knows. We'll there's never a, know. There's a throwaway line. Well, if he'd been in there, he'd seen that there's nothing in there. But like, right. okay, is there really nothing in there? Is it just a circle of nothing? Of power? It's a circle of power that makes your dreams come real? Like, yeah. we don't know. We, we don't know. Maybe Clearly, book readers know. Has anyone read this book? Please tell us. Yes. Clearly, later on, they can manipulate you. And so your senses can be manipulated. Mm-hmm. So maybe he went in and saw nothing, but there was actually full of aliens, you know? Oh, maybe, yeah. You don't know. But they we don't, don't know. They, we, don't we don't know. know. We can only speculate because the movie doesn't tell you. There's no payoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one, you know, I, this is just a little one, but there's this, they set up kind of a competition between Leah Schreiber's character, Ted, and Samuel L. Jackson's character, Harry. Mm-hmm. It's mentioned a few times that there's some sort of friendly competition or Liev wants to be like Samuel L. Jackson. It doesn't really pan out. Like, it's just mentioned a couple times, like, so you file it away, oh, this is going to come in to play later yeah, in the story. Yeah, like maybe somebody's going to do something stupid because they're trying to outdo the other and it's going to cost right. them their lives. It'll be for, their folly. Yeah. No, no. It's like, oh, no. They just they drop just, it. They compete and now they don't compete because one's dead. <laughs> Sad. Yeah. Another example of the no payoff. So there's a big reveal pretty early that this vessel that houses the sphere yeah. that's underwater. Which is ginormous. They which is, told us a couple times. Yeah. This vessel is American. Yeah. And what does that mean? They have this theory that uh, the, this device is from the future, mm-hmm. but it's been, you know, it landed in our past. Yeah. Well, they said it was under 300 years worth of coral. Oh, okay. Let's but that through. gets lost. Like that's at the beginning of the movie and then it kind of gets lost. The idea is somebody from the future has landed in our past and crashed mm-hmm. and they're just speculating on this, but I mean, that's a really cool idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's really cool stuff. That's what sci-fi, you know, that's the stuff that grips you. Right. But it doesn't really make any sense. They don't, there's no payoff again. Like, is this fear then? Is it American made? No, it's some sort of alien thing that's in this American ship. Right. Why is that important? Why is we that significant? Know. It seems like, ooh, Did you know, early on. Did these future American astronauts pick up this alien sphere and then bring it back to Earth in the past? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't. none of it makes sense. It yeah. Which segues into the second big Uh-oh. low point. It's This movie's confusing. <laughs> Which I think you could probably tell now, right? <laughs> We're very confused. And normally... You know, we wouldn't confess to being confused because, you know, there's some people who got it maybe and they're like rolling their eyes and they're like, hey, the Henshaws are dumb. <laughs> maybe we are. Maybe, maybe that's we are. the problem. I feel like we're pretty well educated. We're pretty smart at picking things up. 
If I don't get it, you usually do. <laughs> Other way around sometimes, too, especially if it's sci-fi or horror. But in this case, again, you know, like this whole ending, for instance. Mm-hmm. The three of them get together. They've survived this alien encounter. They're about to be met with... Uh, yeah, the, who are the three that are left at the end? It's Sharon Stone, Samuel L. Jackson, and Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. Those three characters. So they're, they know that the powers that be are going to be like, you're crazy. They're not going to believe their story. Right. And that if they do believe them, they're going to know that they have some sort of powers. Mm-hmm. And this power could be harnessed for bad, you know, military, you know, blow things up type power, you know. So they decide at the end that they're all going to forget what happened. Oh my gosh, yes. And they hold hands and they count to three or something stupid like that. And they are just going to forget it. Well, did it work? I don't know. (laughs) They don't, I mean. That's literally the end of the movie. That's the end of the, well, and then the very, well, what's really last, the sphere, after they do that, suddenly goes up and blasts off and leaves the planet. Oh, that's right. Okay, so they choose. They're about to be questioned, basically yeah. by like a military tribunal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, okay, you're the... Well, okay, and like let's Like official go back. testimony type stuff. There were how many people under the water to begin with? There was those three survivors. Maybe seven. Plus Leave Schreiber and then Queen Latifah, and she had like an assistant underwater. Mm-hmm. So six or seven. Oh, and um, the other, the brunette guy. I don't remember his name. Yeah. He was Peter pretty, Coyote was Yeah, his. yeah. Peter Coyote was down there with them too. So seven people in the beginning. Mm-hmm. All of those other people are dead, and the place is blasted as smithereens, and the Navy has rescued these three so they definitely the navy has questions they're like what the heck went on (laughs) why are why how did you three who aren't even navy you're civilians how did you survive this and what happened right and so their whole solution was okay yes we have some sort of like subliminal power now where we can self-actualize things that we imagine Mm -hmm. the military can take this and use it as like a superpower or some kind of super weapon we don't want that to happen we don't know what this is so we're gonna choose to forget i think samuel l jackson actually says the phrase like we have the power to forget yeah and i was like we do like i think that's actually why we have a lot of psychologists in business today is because we don't have the power to forget right well but they supposedly have special powers and again that's another leap that's confusing i don't get that the powers seem to happen when they're asleep but right. now they're all awake. They're going to hold hands yeah, and make count a decision. To three. They literally did count to three or count down from three, something. And they're going to make a decision to make their situation better. Like they're going to forget. They're going to choose to forget that this whole thing ever happened. And, and then we see the sense. sphere blast off into space out of the ocean. And everybody looks like, what? What was that? Yeah. What just happened? <clears throat> and I'm, again, am I happy? Did our heroes defeat the sphere? Was this an alien attack? Or was it like a test that we passed? I, Are I, these three people just nuts? Are they just nuts? <laughs> did they imagine the whole thing? Did they? Yeah, I mean, I don't did know. Did they murder a bunch of people underwater and manage to get out alive? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. More questions. Like these, what else is confusing? Like this, the powers that they have. Mm-hmm. Up until now, it's always been they're asleep. And they have these powers. Now, the very first time they're going to try to use these powers while they're awake is to forget the power. That doesn't make sense. It seems like you would try something out first, like, hey, let's turn this table into gold. Right, right. You know? Can I unlock this door with my mind? And if they can uh, do things with their mind and make things happen, then why are we so scared at the end that they're not going to make it? 
Again, so yeah. why can't why don't they just make all their troubles go away if they can use their mind and just you know they have the force right. they can make their wishes the come force. true. So th- like th- you get into the stuff where like it doesn't make sense. It you just know, none of this makes questions. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, and I still take issue with you can't choose to forget something. Yeah, like that's not how the brain works. The more I concentrate on something, the less I'm forgetting it. Yeah, that's you know, true. Like one, two, three, we're gonna hold hands and all collectively choose to forget something. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's not how that works. Yeah. How and how are you gonna erase just that? I guess it's like, well, how do you erase just that memory? Do you, is there like do you remember Peter Coyote dying being cut in half, but you don't remember why? Right. Are you just erasing the last forty eight hours of your life or you know, whatever it is, like, are you just racing, like, rolling back the tape? <laughs> yeah. Like, why are we even on this Navy base now? I don't understand how we got here. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's it's confusing. So th- there's another scene where Sharon Stone goes out of the vessel into the water. Mm-hmm. And we don't even know why she's doing it. Apparently, she's going out to look for food. They explain later because the, you know, the cabinets are empty. There's no food. We find out that it's... Could be the alien playing tricks on them. Right. Again, I'm confused. Is it Samuel L. Jackson playing tricks on them? They very much make it look like Samuel L. Jackson's character. Harry? Is he Mm -hmm. Harry? Harry. Harry is trying to build enmity between Dustin Hoffman and Sharon Stone. Like, Mm -hmm. she's crazy, man. Don't believe her. Like, she's saying she's got to go look for food. Look in the cabinets. There's food everywhere. We got food all over the place. Right. It's like, is he under the influence of the alien there? Or is he just affected by the situation that he's he's doing this on purpose to create the enmity between the two? Right. We don't know. We don't know. It's still unclear. But anyway, so she goes off, apparently, to look for food. But while she's out there, she plants these charges all around their ship uh, and sets a timer to blow everything up. Uh, well, how does she even know about this? Okay, yeah. Isn't she like a marine biologist? Oh, that's that's one of my biggest beefs with the movie right there. <laughs> I never know what the heck her job is. So Dustin Hoffman has this list of experts he thinks we should pull in in case of alien encounters. Sharon Stone is one of those people. And at the very beginning of the movie, we're to understand she's a marine biologist. She looks at these pictures, sonar pictures and whatever they have, and mm-hmm. says, that's 300 years worth of coral growth. Coral only grows at a such and such rate and so that mm-hmm. has to be equal to 300 years this ship has been sitting you know so yeah. it's very clear she is a marine biologist mm-hmm. but then she has all these other random special sets of skills that keep cropping up all right. through the movie where like at one point she's a forensic pathologist yeah. and at another point she's like a biologist biologist not just a marine biologist i'm like right. i like, how many PhDs can this woman have? <laughs> she knows all the things. Yeah. Yeah. She knows all the things, but she's still kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And she's a bit unhinged. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's her superpower. So they explain it later on. The reason why she set all of these things to blow up is to protect the perimeter. And But it doesn't really make sense because when they all go off, the whole thing blows up like the Death Star at the end of Star right. Wars. Well, I, mean, I don't understand why you need to protect the perimeter when the thing that you're worried about is within the camp. Yeah. Like you are literally next door to the sphere. Yeah. The whole namesake of the movie, you know, like, yeah. so why do you need to, what do you protect? I guess maybe it was post squid attack. So that's what mm-hmm. we're protecting the perimeter from? I don't know. I I don't know. Again, questions. So questions. many questions. I don't get it. I don't get it. It's confusing. 
Another one. I'll give, I'll give one more. Uh, maybe just one more. Uh, so when Samuel L. Jackson first encounters the sphere, he goes to sleep, right? We already mm-hmm. talk, touched on that. When he wakes up, he acts so weird. Yeah, Like very everything's weird. amazing. The food is so great. He's so hungry and everything tastes fantastic. And then yeah. when he's offered uh, calamari and he finds out it is a fish, he freaks out. Oh, yeah. He has this like freak out moment. I forgot about that. And again, he, they make him seem kind of like an adolescent. Like yeah. a real moody kind kid. Kind of like the dialogue they were getting from the computer. An right. impetuous toddler is kind of how the computer acts. And it's really how Samuel L. Jackson begins to act, too. Yeah. But then like 20, 25 minutes later, they abandon that. And Samuel L. Jackson's back to being normal Samuel L. Jackson. Right, right. And he's a, I forget what he is. Is he the mathematician or Lee Schreiber was the mathematician? I think he was the mathematician. Lee Schreiber was like the mechanic type, know, mechanical yeah. engineer guy. But it doesn't make sense. So they, they kind of build something up and then they just abandon it. Yep. It doesn't make sense. I'm confused. <laughs> so all these points about confusion surrounding the story, I would forgive in an art film. Mm-hmm. Because it's okay to be ambiguous in an art film. Leave it up to interpretation. Sure. But, you know, this is an action thriller type film. Mm-hmm. And you usually raise questions with uh you know try to let the people try to figure it out as they go right or maybe you just tell them at the end well that's why this happened and this is why that happened i think you could even have an open-ended question i think we see sci-fi with open-ended questions oh yeah but it's very pointed and we're all led to the same question whereas this like there's just holes all over this yeah and apparently they took a huge break they started the film Oh. They ran out of funds or something stopped. I didn't know that. I know I read where uh, Dustin Hoffman went and filmed Wag the Dog. Oh. (laughs) Which was an excellent film. Yeah. (laughs) And then they came back to film this one and finished it up. Wow. And it just, I think there were constant changes happening in flight and it, it kind of shows, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I wonder how hard that is on an actor to go... Because Wag the Dog is completely a different movie. Oh, yeah. Like, how hard is that to come out of character, go do mm-hmm. this political thing, and then come back to the sci-fi, underwater, yeah. action, thriller, horror, suspense, whatever all the terminology is? Yeah, yeah. That's got to be tough. But I will say, like, his acting was probably the most convincing out of the whole movie. Mm -hmm. Even for him being the guy who had to go leave, do another movie, and come back. Yeah. Yeah, They all had kind of little moments here and there. You know, when he's talking to Samuel L. Jackson about the... um that he made this stuff up. I like their little interaction right, there. Right, right. Like he's being honest about like, listen, they were paying me money. I just yeah. wrote the report, you know? It was only like 30 or 40 seconds of dialogue, right. but it was good, you know? Right. It was and, probably the most honest 30 or 40 seconds of the movie, really. Yeah. And some of the stuff between Sharon Stone and him, you know, she obviously uh, was hurt by their encounter or hurt by their past relationship. Well, so much so that we're told basically she was suicidal at one point. Right, right. right. Like, so I think she, you know, had to have some help and, mm-hmm. you know, has a pill problem maybe. Yeah. You know, again, a lot of questions unanswered there. We're, yeah. we're kind of throwing these little bits and pieces and nothing is ever truly resolved. Yeah. And we don't even really know. That was the other thing is we know for a fact Samuel L. Jackson went into the sphere. We saw it happen. Mm-hmm. We didn't see inside the sphere, but we you see like his reflection floating up on the side of the sphere. Mm-hmm. And then he has those like moments or days or hours of being unconscious. Mm-hmm. 
we see very briefly the same thing happen with Dustin Hoffman. Like he goes to the sphere, stands there, sees his reflection, and yeah. it kind of gets cut short. And we never have that like he's knocked out, he's unconscious, he has to sleep for a day like yeah. we did with Samuel L. Jackson. He didn't have the same reaction. Yeah. And we don't see any of that happen with Sharon Stone, but then towards the end when everything gets really tense, just before they're kind of rescued and they blow everything up and all of that, there's this big, like nobody of the three survivors, nobody trusts anybody. You were in the sphere. No, I wasn't in the sphere. You had to have been in the sphere. These are your yeah. manifestations. No, these are your things. You're doing the. I mean, it's all mm-hmm. so jumbled up. It's yeah. so, I mean, yes, there's tension there, but it's like a maddening, like, oh my yeah. gosh. Like, I don't, it's kind I'm of annoying. pretty sure I saw Dustin Hoffman go to the sphere. I don't know about Sharon Stone and I don't know who to believe at this point. Mm-hmm. And maybe yeah. that was their intention, but it was... Not in a good way, maddening, right? Right. They were totally going for like an alien vibe, but underwater, not in space. Yeah, I could see that. But it just didn't work. Let's go to, let's go ahead and go to final summations. Is this a yay or nay for you? What say ye, Kim? Well, I think you could probably tell, um, but I will, I want to quote Rotten Tomatoes. You know, they have that kind of one-liner critics consensus at Mm -hmm. the top of the page, you know, after they give you their percentages. And I read this and I thought, yeah, that really sums everything up. It says Sphere features an A-level cast working with B-grade material (laughs) with a story seen previously in superior science science fiction films. Yeah. And I think that's it right there. Like yeah. there were some great ingredients here, but there was never any payoff. There were some great actors and actresses here, mm-hmm. but it just never panned out. Yeah. It just, so it's an A for me. Like, yeah, I had high hopes for it. Cause I thought, Oh, I've never heard of this movie. These are some well-known, well-respected actors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's see what we have here. And nope, nope. Rotten Tomatoes. I think got it right. <laughs> it's not always the case, but I, I feel like they kind of hit it on the nose. Here. Yeah, they did. Uh, this is the first time that you and I have both said nay to a film because that's what I'm saying, too. I'm saying, okay, uh, you know, if you want to watch a movie, you know, I'm the guy that recommended uh, Battle Beyond the Stars, you know, <laughs> yeah, watch that one before you watch this one. Wow, uh, all right. All right, so what are we watching next week? Okay, we're going from a 1998 movie way back to a 1956 movie, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which I have never seen, and I think you've only seen, what, the last? Yeah, this is what you get when you flip through the channels. Uh Uh-oh. You get to a movie and you say, hey, this looks good. (laughs) And then it ends two minutes later. Oh, no. So you've seen the big spoiler ending. I saw the big spoiler ending, but that's all I've seen. I do. uh, I've always wanted to watch the whole film. So now we get our chance. Okay. So basically, a small town doctor learns that the population of his community is being replaced by emotionless alien duplicates. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I will say I have already peaked at Rotten Tomatoes and the tomato meter has this at a 98%. So I'm wow. very intrigued. Yeah. And I, you know, it's it's also touted as one of the best political allegories of the 1950s. Wow. So that definitely piques my interest. Yeah. Um I like to think I want to know what was going on here and why this was made and all of those good things. So I'm excited about this. I've never seen it. I've always heard of it. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, it's a pretty popular title out there. So there, there was also a remake with Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman, The Invasion. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Did you see that one? I don't think I've ever seen that. Yeah, I saw that one. I didn't when realize was it made? was a remake. I don't know. It was in the 2000s, I okay. know. Okay. Um, Not something we're allowed to cover we here. We can't then. cover it, but we can touch on it maybe later. <laughs> okay, but there was a, was there a 1978 version yeah, also? Yeah, I haven't seen that one either. Okay, all right. I think that one had Leonard Nimoy, if mm-hmm. I if I mm-hmm. saw correctly when I was glancing through. So. so you can watch this on Amazon Prime. All right. So if you're a Prime subscriber, you can watch it. Watch it with us. Next week, we will post our review. We'll chat about it. Episode yes. 15, right? Number 15. Wow. I can't believe it. We're very close to 20 episodes. Wow. Getting there. All right. Well, that does it for us, guys. Have a great week and peace out. Enjoy your movies, guys. Peace out.